Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll cover The Stand, book two, chapters 46 to 49. Let's start the show. As our parties move west, there continues to be drama. Recent additions to Stu's group die, and the love triangle between Stu, Harold, and Franny gets more intense, but not as intense as when their group is ambushed on the road. Larry's group has their own issues, as Larry is torn between new recruit Lucy Swan and Nadine, who is dealing with her own issues around Randall Flagg. The trash can man gets a long chapter, that switches between his journey west, including his time with the kid, and his acceptance in a new community in Las Vegas. Sean, when I was uh, mentioning which chapters we're covering here, I only mentioned that we're covering three chapters, and yet this is probably one of the longer segments of the book that we're covering in a single episode. Yes. And I gotta say, I am really feeling the length of the book here. Yeah, indeed. Um, I know we don't get really in-depth into the changes. But chapters 46 and 47 were one shorter chapter in the original version of this. And King really expanded the two of them to such an extent that he had to split it into two chapters, which are still really, really long. Yeah. And I don't think that usually length is a problem, uh, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to Stephen King books. You expect it. And, you know, it's not as if I wasn't engaged with the book at all and it didn't seem like it was a huge slog. But for me, it was that it was so repetitive to other things that we've seen already. So I think the hard part was it didn't seem like we were advancing as much as we could have been advancing in the story. Um, just a few examples. Uh, we get introduced to two new characters, Mark and Perion, who are a young couple who meets up with Stu's group. And Mark is dying of appendicitis. And we've already seen somebody die of tonsillitis. And there's been talk about how, hey, there's going to be a second culling of people because we're not going to yeah. be able to treat the disease. So we've seen this before. And then as a result of Mark dying, Perrion commits suicide. And just a couple chapters earlier, we saw Rita Blackmore sort of commit suicide. Like, how does how does Larry phrase it? Like, it was 70% accidental, 30% intentional, maybe something like that. Or maybe I got the reversals around. But again, another woman dying of uh, pills and suicide. Yeah. And we have uh, another spooky tunnel right? Yeah. Larry Underwood went through a really spooky tunnel, and now Trash Can Man is going through a spooky tunnel. And uh, there's something to be said for reinforcing themes and stuff like that, but at the length that King is going to it, it's less reinforcement and seems like just dragging on. Yeah. I guess what really made me notice it is, you know, I've read this book enough times that I know what the big beats are in my head, or I remember what I think the big beats are in my head of what things happen and when mm -hmm. things happen. And we're 50% of the way through the book. Since I'm reading on a Kindle, I know that. So we're more than 50% of the way through the book. And we're not where I thought we would be at this point. So I'm going to stay away from spoilers. But we can see that there's one community forming in Las Vegas in this section. Yeah, There's another community that forms. And we haven't seen it form yet. And we're more than halfway through the book. And I was sort of like, wait a minute, I thought that happened earlier. And I remember a lot that happens in that piece, but that must be in a lot shorter amount of pages because then there has to be 
all this other stuff that I know happens in the book. And I'm sort of thinking to myself, how does that all happen in the last 50% of this book? And the question is, well, I guess he doesn't drag it out like he is in these chapters. I mean, King has been setting the table and setting the table. And at this point, it sort of feels like he's just tweaking like, oh, this fork isn't exactly straight and the spoon isn't in the perfect position. So let me just touch, 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 touch. And like, can we start the meal already? We're all very hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it's not bad. It's good stuff. It's interesting stuff. It's just that I don't know if it's adding to the story and it wasn't in the first book, which makes me think that there was a reason it wasn't in the first book. And that's because it wasn't necessary to the story or it didn't add as much as King thought it added. I think when things were added in the first part of the book, it really set up how bad the plague was and how people were dealing with it. And in this section, other than what I would think is the part when Stu's group gets ambushed, I thought that that was interesting because um, maybe this is because of other post-apocalyptic novels I've read and seen, but like it reminded me very much of like a Walking Dead scenario where, hey, here's two groups that have different intentions and how are they going to deal with it? We haven't really seen groups get together and fight. And this is the first time we've seen that where there's a, a group of men who are trying to subjugate and enslave women. And that's not a situation we've seen before. So that was new to me and interesting. But the rest of this, like 20 pages with the kid. And I was like, man, this stuff with the kid in the trash can, man, is really similar to Lloyd and Polk. And I didn't know if it was necessary because we've seen a similar relationship and it doesn't get trash can man much closer to where he was. Yeah. And even the way that that section ended with the kid was a little bit of a letdown because There was all this buildup of flags looking out for trash cam in and he's going to send these wolves and the wolves come and he is saved. But I was ready for those wolves to tear the kid apart. And instead, the scene ends with the kid just hiding in a locked car. And trash cam man walking away with wolves at his side, but not even looking back. And what's weird about that is that when we, you know, because it's a series of flashbacks and flash forwards, when the trash can man's in Las Vegas and he thinks about it. He sort of shudders because he's like, I can't believe what happened to the kid. And it, it's like a horrible memory for him. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't see anything happen to the kid. He was surrounded by dogs and then you walked away. Like, eh. And uh, the other day when we were talking about this, we were like, well, why was it wolves? Why didn't Flag send more weasels? Weasels have been really important imagery in the story. They've shown up before. Clearly, he, you know, he sent them after Mother Abigail. So that would have been really cool. <laughs> and then we started saying like, well, what would be worse? 10 wolves, a hundred weasels, or a thousand chickens? <laughs> uh, <laughs> again, we've, we've talked about this before, how much the Wild Weasels Rip My Flesh uh, album meant to me when I was younger. So I'd say the hundred weasels would be the thing that I'd be the most scared of, of those scenarios. I mean, if the chickens managed to actually like trip you and get you down on the ground, I think you'd have some problems. But until that happened, you could just do a lot of punting. Yeah. (laughs) Narrow that down to 800 chickens with no problem. But there is almost nothing you could do from keeping a 100 weasels from swarming up (laughs) to the very top of your head and completely covering you and shredding you to bits before you had a chance to fight them all off. That's a tough one. So because there's so much in this section with the kid and the trash can man, I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out what King is trying to do here, because I'll tell you the truth. I've sort of blocked out in my memory the entire backstory of trash can man. 
Uh, in my mind, he's been this agent of chaos in the book where he's just doing his own thing. Like there are certain people who have dreams of this and there are certain people who have dreams of this and trash can man's fixated on blowing shit up and setting things on fire. And so we get this section with the kid that really paints the trash can man in a different light. Yeah. In my notes, I called this section sympathy for Mr. Trash Can because I thought that King was at least attempting to soften our consideration of Trash Can Man, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know that he went all the way to making him a truly sympathetic character, but he definitely brought us closer to that. Because yeah. before this, he's a problematic character in a lot of ways. He's definitely had a troubled past. And a lot of the things that make him who he is weren't his fault. Um, but he's still an agent of chaos, and he still is a force of destruction in the world. So it's hard for him to be completely sympathetic, but putting him in these dire straits and these dire circumstances, it helps move that needle a little bit. Um, but I think Trash Can Man still ends up being like he's still equal parts pathetic, dangerous, and destructive, and now just a little bit sympathetic. Yeah. And I don't know if all of this was to build up the fact that at the end of his chapter, he feels like he's brought into a community and he feels, if not loved, at least welcomed and accepted. And for the first time in his life. Exactly. Right. The first time that, that that's happened. And so I don't know if if that's what all of this was building up to. Um, and I think you made a good point when we talked about this earlier, that perhaps that was Flag's intention all along. Mm -hmm. is to send the kid to Trash Can Man and put him through this awful situation just so that he would feel that way when he got to Vegas. Yeah, and I think that's that's possible. And King goes so far as to even very strongly hint at that. Like, it never occurred to Trash Can Man that Flag arranged for the kid to show up and, and become this tormentor. Just like it never occurred to Trash Can Man that Flag was either the direct person who did all of the terrible things to him his whole life, or at least influenced those things or caused them to happen. We've seen Flag do things like this, playing really long cons on people. And when we go through all of the major points in Trash Can's life, from when he first got electroshock treatments and spent time in jail and, and other things like that, how do we know that it wasn't all flag all along just right. sculpting this this agent of chaos out of a, what otherwise would have been you know a more well-adjusted person and maybe not the the agent of chaos that he becomes in this story yeah and i i will point out that trash can man does feel accepted you know lloyd gets some new clothes and welcomes them and says you're very important in the in the situation the big guy wants to see you and when he introduces him to all the friends in the buffet in the Las Vegas casino, everyone's like, hey, you're with us. And, you know, they're all joking and stuff. But that's undercut by the fact that there's somebody else that they know who gets accused of using drugs and gets crucified at the end of this. And everyone turns on that guy, including Trash Can Man. And so I think we're meant to think that this is a community, but it is a fickle community, that those bonds of loyalty don't mean much. Um, in fact, when they're about to crucify the guy, somebody gives Trash Can a hint and just is like, pretend like you don't know him, like you never knew him. And that's what Trash Can Man does. It's not really a community at all. Every single person individually has a connection to Flag. They don't have connections to each other that are meaningful. Right. Which is why when Flag says, this person, out. They all just say, fine, fair, no yep. problem. 
I don't I don't know that guy. And it's because they they all have their their own personal relationship with their fearless leader. They don't have relationships with each other. Yep. At least not in a way that is enough to overcome their awe and fear of flag. Yeah. And I've been listening and and reading about how how cults are formed and how people mm. and and this follows that almost to a T, right? Where you pick somebody out when they're down and out and you don't talk about the culty stuff. You offer them friendship and community where they didn't have it before. And it's only then that you introduce the crucifixions and the uh-huh. and the turning on people and, and that's when things get bad. Um but at first it's just like, oh, you're feeling down and out. I'm with you. Like I feel the same way. Why don't we be buddies and pals? And that's sort of the way of getting people initiated into it. You don't lead with the racism. You don't lead with the crucifixions. You don't leave with the the killing. You lead with the, hey, I'm just like you. We've all been on hard times. Let's let's get together. And and trash can man is not sophisticated enough to realize that. He jumps at it. Yep. Very much so. So ultimately, I mean, the kid section, which is, you know, over 20 pages in the book, do you feel like it was necessary, Jay, for this this new version of the stand? I mean, he's a memorable character. Um but I don't know, it, it was cut out of the first book. I don't know if it was needed for the second book uh, to make Trash Can more sympathetic or not. Like, I still think that Trash Can on his own is a wild card enough of a character that for me, I don't know if that side story was necessary. I'm not really thinking about it in terms of necessary versus unnecessary. But if I could, if I could, you know, wave a magic wand on, on the stand and change what the kids section was, I think I would make it tighter Mm. and i would uh, improve some of the things about it that are fairly problematic especially from a 2020 perspective yeah perspective there's a lot of homophobia going on there's a lot of there's even just stuff that just feels anachronistic Mm. and the whole book suffers from that too in terms of like what year is this really yeah you know how likely is it that there's like this hot rodder with the the pompadour hairdo and, and all that stuff with this custom open wheel car in 1990 yeah. seems low and yeah there there's a lot of stuff that could be a lot better so um i would prefer rather than saying it's unnecessary and excise it i would say find a way to improve it and it wouldn't take much no. to to do that yeah and i wonder if you know we've been focusing on the relationship between the kid and trash can man if this is more telling about flag than it is about those two and that if the focus could be more on that um, especially from the problem is it's told from trash cans perspective. So we don't see the inner workings, but I think, you know, you've pointed out to me that this is probably all flags doing. And if we could see mm-hmm. it from that aspect, I think that I'd make flag even spookier before trash can man gets to Vegas. Like, Oh, look at the power he's wielding over this situation. Yeah. That, that would be really cool. I, I kind of feel like in a lot of, a lot of ways flags influence over all of these events and all of these people we're told about it, but we're not shown it yeah. as often as we ought to be. And it would be really fascinating to see him manipulate all the right levers and pull all the right strings to make this person, the kid, cross paths with with Trash Can Man. Like, how much power does that require? Or maybe is it really easy, but it, it you just need to do all the right things in the right order. But whatever it is, that would be fun to figure out and witness. Yeah. Um, but that's not part of the book yeah. in, in a meaningful way. Well, we're touching on flag enough that it's probably time for some Dark Tower Thinnies. You want to start us off, Jay? Sure. 
I think one of the more obvious thingies is every mention of the special stone, the dark stone that the key members of Flag's you know, cult wear around their necks. And it's uh, described as a dark stone. And deep in some of those stones was a red shape that might have been an eye or might have been a key. Yep. And I think it's pretty obvious to us as Dark Tower fans that that eye is the sigil of the Crimson King, right? And if King wasn't thinking it when he wrote this, regardless of which which version we're talking right. about of the stand, I think it is now. I think like if you asked King, is that the Crimson King's eye sigil? He would say yes, yep. absolutely. Indeed. So there's a reference, Jay, to uh, Johnny Ringo being a gunslinger. And if you remember, Roland had a dog named Ringo. And at the time, I think you and I thought, like, why did Roland have a dog named after one of the Beatles? <laughs> now, somebody wrote us and said, oh, there's a series of Johnny Ringo movies. And that's probably what King was drawing on when Roland had a dog named Ringo. Anyhow, it's all come full circle. And Johnny Ringo is mentioned in the stand. And he's a gunslinger. And Roland is a gunslinger. Roland is, it, it all makes sense. Isn't it. this the Johnny Ringo from the Tombstone fame? Maybe. There's a series of like spaghetti westerns where the character is Johnny Ringo. Okay. Yeah, that's what one of our listeners was yeah. talking about. Right. Because I am not an expert in spaghetti westerns. Uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I have seen Tombstone far too many times. <laughs> well, I've seen a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, but <laughs> not familiar with the whole Johnny Ringo oeuvre. Another Dark Tower thingy is uh, there's a line about how when Franny was carrying her dead father out of the house and really struggling, you know, just moving his, his corpse and trying to get him out to the garden so she could bury him, uh, that inspired these nightmares where Flag was chasing her as she was trying to carry the body. And she just had this idea that she could get away from Flag if she didn't have to carry the body. It was her father's body wrapped in a bedsheet. But if she dropped it, the dark man would do something to it, perform some awful desecration on it. And it was kind of like this idea that he was going to take that dead body and, and resurrect it, but in an awful, twisted way, which reminded me very much of what the man in black did to Nort in The Gunslinger. And yeah. he left him as a trap for Roland, but he waited for this, this guy to die and then did his incantations and reanimated his flesh, but left him in this state of half dead half alive his body was still rotting like it was it was just the worst way that he could have done this the the man in black definitely didn't do nord any favors no and that's exactly what uh, i think franny's spot on like if uh flag got his hands on her father's corpse he probably would have done something along those lines just because it would mess with franny yep no that's a good one so there's a pretty poetic sequence uh around flag and where had he been then, her intended, her dark bridegroom? On what streets, what back roads, clocking along an outside suburban darkness while inside the brittle clink of cocktail chatter broke the world into neat and rational sections? What cold winds were his? And this is Nadine reminiscing about the dark man uh, mm. flag. And this is very much like the poem, The Dark Man, that we discussed in one of our bonus episodes. Yeah. Except better written. And... Uh, a more mature writer doing it, and it fits perfectly well within this section that we're talking about. But it has so much of an echo of the Dark Man poem. It's like King had to have that open next to him as he was writing this passage in the stand. Yeah, because it it's like he adapted his own work for this. the the 
the back roads, the suburban darkness, the clink of cocktail chatter. All of those things are, are referenced and, and used as, you know, implements of pain that the dark man feels. He yeah. resents those things. He's, he lashes out against those things. And here's Nadine grasping and, and latching onto the fact that these are the things that make him special to her. Right. You know, she likes him for all the wrong reasons, but <laughs> what can you do? The heart wants what the heart wants. Right. The final Dark Tower thingy that I had in my notes was um, a line, his were the armies of the night, his were the white-faced riders of the dead who would sweep out of the west and into the very face of the rising sun. And it's a little bit of a stretch, but this very much reminded me of the Doctor Doom riders from Wolves of the Kala. Mm. So they're not necessarily wearing green hoods or have Doctor Doom masks on, or they're not swinging lightsabers or throwing <laughs> sneeches, but I kind of feel like there's there's some overlap there. Yeah, I dig it. All right, well, we only have a couple of yucking it ups. Jay, why don't you start us off? All right. So my yucking it up is basically the summation of all of the descriptions of Trash Can Man's injuries. He has a misaligned broken wrist that has resulted in this awful claw-shaped hand. He's got a massive burn over one whole arm, and the new skin is covered in scabs, and his face is burned. Yeah. And from the sun and from the fire and the chemicals, like he his body is a wreck uh add in the emaciation and the starvation just looking at him is probably enough to send people running away screaming yeah it also doesn't help like he's his shoe is like tied together with twine and it's flapping mm -hmm. in the thing and his pants are like all shredded and his shirt like yeah he's got to be quite the sight so my yucking it up is directly related to trash can man as well and that's because i learned a new word jay and that word is separating. And I believe that King uses the word separating twice. And I'm like, all right, I, I definitely have to look this up because I, I don't know what it is and it doesn't sound right. And it is undergo the formation of pus and festering to form pus and to swell up. And I was just like, oh, yeah. that is probably the perfect word because after all those burns are, you know, infected and yeah, it's not a pretty picture. Maybe we should rename this section separating it up. <laughs> yeah, but the whole point is to have the king pun, Jay. Oh, right. Yuck king it up. If his name was Stephen Supper, then maybe. Mm. Mm, supper. <laughs> this is kind of a fun stuff type of comment, but the fact that he had to hold his shoe together with twine, I know it's just... It's part of the indication of his madness and, and, and on, uh, I get also thoughtlessness way of moving through the world. But it, it frustrates me that all these characters seem to be so ill prepared all the time for their, their travel through the country. Yep. When, as multiple characters have said many times, everything is just lying around for the taking. Right. It's not like it takes any effort to find a store and get some new shoes. But he's just like, nah, I got I gotta get I gotta get there. So I just I'm just gonna wrap some tape and rope around my shoe yeah. and just keep on going. All right, just get some new shoes. Please. You wouldn't even think you have to stop at a store, right? Like there's people in cars all around. Yeah. Somebody's gotta have a size nine. I just need to find the right person. One of these cars along the highway. 
pull it off their skeleton. Uh, anyhow, we want to thank our patrons for supporting our show. They get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes. You can learn more by visiting patreon.com slash two guys dark tower to learn more. So, Jay, we got a five star review recently on iTunes. Awesome. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear it. So this is from Fattest Cats, and the title of the review is Best Stephen King Podcast! Exclamation point. These guys are great, insightful, funny, balanced, creative, and a joy to listen to. Nowhere near as bro-y or obnoxious as other Stephen King podcasts that seem to be out there. All right, so we're not bro-y or obnoxious. <laughs> I'm really starting to see a trend here with with these kind of like backhanded compliments we're getting from our listeners not pretentious you're not pretentious you're not bro yeah no please keep the love coming we do this for for you our listeners and we appreciate all of their five-star reviews yeah. thank you very much and i will say fattest cats there is a lot of bro comments they're just all on the editing room floor <laughs> all right jay it's time for some fun stuff all right fun stuff you want to kick us off? I will. So, as always, there's some philosophizing going on, and it's around the fact that Mark is dying, and the group's all together, and they talk about, I, th I think it's Glenn who says, a liberal arts education teaches you how to think, how to induct and deduct in a constructive way. And it's either Franny or Perion who says, we've all been spending our time learning how to bullshit each other in dorms and the living rooms of cheap apartments in college towns. And I'm like, boy, that's a little bit close to home as to what we do on a biweekly basis here. But like <laughs> their their whole point is that, you know, and I'm a big believer in this as a liberal arts major and somebody who, who came out of this tradition and now sits at a computer and thinks about stuff and doesn't actually do anything with his hands. But like th they're sad because they don't have anyone who can help Mark um, because none of them have learned those skills. They've got quite smart people in their group. You know, a lot yep. of them have been to college in some form or another. Stu's the only one who hasn't, but he's a smart guy, as we can tell. And none of them are able to help Mark because none of them have those skills that they want. And it's sort of odd that King's stating this because I would imagine King's the same way, right? He came out of oh, absolutely background. And so, you know, to really sort of point the finger in an accusatory way here is is nice, but I like it. And before we're inundated with listener email, I believe it was Perian who made that statement. Got it. I'm like really torn about this because she's absolutely right considering their circumstances in this post-apocalyptic world. But on the other hand, it's really also the thing that's helping them survive in a lot of other ways. If somebody only knew how to do a certain thing because they had a very, you know, narrow field of study, they might not know how to survive or, or interact with uh, other people to help form a society and, and stuff like that. Right. But everybody can be a link in the chain. And she's just noting that they're missing one or two important links. Right, that they need right then and there because somebody's right. dying. <laughs> right. But you know what? They, they, they do sort of figure it out. Like, it, that's sort of a heartbreaking scene. And it is. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's not original. Like, as I was reading it, I'm like, I think I've seen this scene in MASH before. And I think I've seen this scene in ER before and any number of medical dramas. But like the whole, hey, I think we figured this out. I think we're going to save the patient. And then somebody's behind the curtain saying no doc he's already gone you know like um mm -hmm. but like Stu tries glenn tries. i mean Stu's the one who tries like glenn and harold are a little bit sickened by the whole thing but like they're all trying and the whole other point of this scene 
is to really freak out Franny, right? Because she's like, yeah. I'm pregnant. What's going to happen to me? Because I don't see any doctors or midwives or doulas around. All right. So uh, one, one of the things I, I noted in fun stuff was Franny in her journal, she like has these sections where she says like things to remember about this yeah. time. And one of them is this slang phrase, I got grease, which was a pretty current expression in her words that meant everything was going well. And I have never heard that expression. So maybe it's a Maine thing. Maybe it's a New England thing. I've never heard anybody say it in a movie, read it in a book, never heard another person say it. But there it is, preserved for all time in Franny's diary. Yeah, I I don't got it at all either. I have no idea. So So what you're saying is you don't got grease. I don't got grease. No grease have I. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I I wanted to call out was when Franny's group is ambushed by these folks that are like enslaving women, one of them is described as an olive skinned man who has an Italian accent. And King is like very insensitively giving him uh words like now I'm gonna kill you, you son of bitch. But of course, that just made me think of Johnny Dangerously. As Marody continues to murder the English language. Exactly. <laughs> Dear listeners, I cannot tell you how many times Jay and I have referenced Johnny Dangerously without you knowing it. <laughs> and how often we sing the Weird Al theme song for Johnny Dangerously, This is the Life. But it is multiple, multiple times. Yes. It's far more than you know. Or or probably want to know. Or would ever guess. So there's this interesting section. And again, this is another time when Stu and Franny and Harold are, and Glenn are all talking. And Glenn brings up this interesting study, the Staunton study, which is all about how there are a lot more no-shows on plane or train crashes than you would normally expect. And that Mm. there's been a scientific study that shows that the incidences are outside the range of of standard deviation and that there must be some sort of psychic link that maybe somebody knows that something's going to happen. And it's, it's really interesting because the implications are like, Oh, maybe people can see the future to some extent. And this might explain the dreams that they have. And Harold, as he's wont to do immediately calls BS. In fact, he yells like, this is BS. And like, everyone's like, calm down, Harold, you know, you don't have to disagree with everything. And Glenn's like, Hey, it was published in a journal, all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, that had just enough ring of a truth to it that I'm like, wow, that's that's interesting. And so I went to go look up this Staunton study to find out a little bit more about it. And of course, it's total BS. It is, in fact, made up. And King totally made it up. And what's funny about this is that Harold's made out to be the bad guy because he's calling BS on this study when, in fact, it is BS. Harold's right. <laughs> um, throughout all of Trashcan Man's sections in this book that we've read so far, he's had these incredibly vivid descriptions of his surroundings and things like that Mm. where i have been repeatedly impressed by his facility with language right which i i know this is really king speaking through the character but um i mean basically old trash is ever the poet there's a line (laughs) he knew this dark man all right his face was the face you could never quite see is the hands which dealt all spades from a dead deck is the eyes beyond the flames is the grin from beyond the grave of the world like mm. man that's that's almost as good as the the dark man stuff that you were talking about earlier Definitely. and here it is it's it's trash can man this guy who's so bonkers that he doesn't even get new shoes for himself 
but he's like his is the face and his is the grin right like pure gold yeah there's another good line from the trash can man section um how long had he been traveling west god might know the trash can man did not (laughs) i just thought that was a nice little way of putting it yeah well at least we know that trash can man is not you know omnipotent and (laughs) he is not in fact god yes he is not god um there's a a moment when trash can man has shortly after he's arrived in las vegas he's getting to meet lloyd for the first time and lloyd just casually refers to las vegas as lost wages Mm. and this reminded me of one of my favorite old shows of uh from adult swim from back in the day frisky dingo and for those of you who are not familiar it's a lot like the archer tv series where it's like rotoscoped animation on top of actual people that they use as reference um but it's even more bonkers than that show ever gets you got to see it to to, to to get it but there's a scene when some of the characters are traveling to las vegas and one of them says repeatedly throughout an entire episode anytime somebody else says las vegas he says i like to call it lost wages <laughs> and everyone looks at him like they're ready to kill him but he just keeps doing it to the point where it becomes funny again right. which is the nature of a good joke sideshow bob stepping on the rake exactly <laughs> exactly so jay i'm not trying to defend harold he's a he's a despicable character and i don't like him at all but franny in her journal uh says that she got annoyed because harold pronounced edgar casey he pronounced it edgar case instead of casey and she sort of ribs him for that in her journal. And I'm reminded by somebody who said, you should never make fun of somebody for mispronouncing something, because that just means that they learned it by reading it, not hearing it. Hmm. If you're mispronouncing a word, but you're mispronouncing it in the right context, it's just that you read that word for the first time, and you've never heard anyone actually say it. And so that's part of it. So I felt a little bit bad for Harold in this case, but I'm not defending him in the least. I'm just saying that Franny shouldn't be ribbing him for that. I, I like that. Uh, I've never heard that defense of mispronunciation, but that that's a very good point. Yes. So the last thing that I had for fun stuff is when Trashcan Man is meeting his new Las Vegas family, as you mentioned earlier, he feels welcome for the first time in his life. He can't really figure out what all of these feelings he's feeling are because they're very foreign to him. And basically he's feeling friendship and companionship and, and maybe family's too strong of a word, but we're told that he has never had this before. And so right. it's all the more impactful to him. And this comes to a head when somebody, you know, reaches out to shake his hand and Trash Can Man says to himself, so far as he could remember, this was the first time in his life someone had offered to shake his hand. Mm. Like, wow, that's, that's kind of sweet. You know? Powerful. Powerful. But just like, I don't know, 20 pages earlier, when he meets the kid and gets in the kid's car, the kid says, shake trash. The kid offered his hand and the trash shook it as quick as he could. Uh, what? <laughs> I guess trash, the trash can man short term memory might not be all there. You also pointed out that the kid section was added back in and mm. maybe this was an edit that was made upon its removal and then putting it back in kind of undoes that, that moment's power. Um, but I did feel like that sort of robbed that moment a little bit. Use something else to show that he has this feeling of belonging and welcome. But 
anyway, this is just me having fun at at some editorial miss. You know, to me, it was kind of humorous that he's <laughs> never in his life had someone offer to shake his hand, except for ten minutes ago. Yeah, except for the only other person he's met in the past month of his life. <laughs> right. Eh, it happens. We do it in fun, Mr. King. If you're listening, we do it in fun. So that's going to be it for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash two guys dark tower. Next episode, join us as we cover The Stand, book two, chapters 50 through 52. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? <laughs> I said, it's not quite breakfast. It's not quite lunch. But you get a melon. It's delicious. It's quite a good meal. <laughs> it sounds like you're channeling Werner Herzog. Trash K-Man rules. Yo, am I right, Jay? Yo, come on. Am I right? You know it, dude. Trash K-Man rules. <laughs>